I've got to tell you, though, how, God, how great our God is. Uh, I'm not going to preach yet, because I need to tell you how great our God is. There's, there's a couple of pressing items that, that I've been praying about, many of you have been praying about. One of them is our church van. Uh, we've had our church van for a long time. It's uh, 12 years old, <laughs> and it has serviced our church very, very well. We've gone a lot of hundreds of miles of trips in that old van. And uh, we, need, we need to consider replacing that van, so we need to be praying for that. Well, the prayer, or with legs on that prayer, means money <laughs> to do that with. The second one is we, we want to take a team of six to India to visit our two missionaries that we support on a monthly basis and uh, also an orphanage that's there and to do some work for that. Uh, Russell's made several trips into India, has already got this lined up, and uh, you know here we are in September uh, needing $9,700 in December to make this trip. And that'll cover all the expenses of everybody going, plus all the supplies that would be needed to uh, do the activities there. We wanna build a couple of playgrounds at the orphanage and at these two churches, if you build a playground at, at Emmanuel's church, for instance, at in, and at R.N. Bunjari's church, that becomes a community draw for the children in that community, that village, to come to that church. Amen? So we, we can do that. And, and we've got it set up. 100 pair of shoes, uh, bicycles for missionaries, those types of things. And I've just been praying, Lord, you own a cattle on a thousand hills, and if you could just sell one of them, well, that'd, be, that'd be great for us. We just replaced the roof on our church. And uh, Tammy Dops, our secretary, her husband does that type of business. And so he, he uh, uh, looked at what the insurance offered us and I think it was gonna cost the church $50 out of pocket to, do the, to, to replace the whole roof on our church. And in the process, as he was taking the roof off, he found a third layer that the, that the uh, assessor didn't see. And so we took pictures of that, sent it in to the uh, insurance company. So Tammy called me Friday, the insurance called her, and she said, are you sitting down? Usually when somebody tells you that, that's not good news, right? But she said, are you sitting down? She said, uh, the insurance uh, agent just called, and he said that he's cutting a check and mailing it next week for $9,000. And I said, I am sitting down now. Tell me that again <laughs> for $9,000. <laughs> I instantly thought of those two things. We could go on a mission trip or we could put it toward purchase of another van. So it's going to be fun now for our leadership to figure out which one of those guys leading them to do. All right? But I just wanted to tell you that. Is that not incredible? After they went through the depreciation and all that, they essentially are going to give it right back to us. And her husband, and her husband doesn't want a dime of it. That's what's even more. He goes, oh, no. He said, he said, if we can get it, let's get it. Is that amazing? Hallelujah. God answers prayer, does he not? Even sometimes monumental prayers. Now, we're still going to send the letters out to foundations trying to receive money from them. And if we do, hallelujah. But God is good. All the time, God is good. 
And if we will be faithful, God will do amazingly marvelous, abundant things far beyond what we could hope or ask. In my flesh, I didn't think there was any possible way that we were going to send six people to India without them having to raise a dime. But now we might. <laughs> Is that not amazing? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We ought to all be on our knees right now that he's showing favor to this church. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. That's what we do every week. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And we always say a prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. And I want you to high-five your neighbor, pound him, whatever you like to do over there, okay? We've been in a study in the book of Jonah, so open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. Been doing a study on the book of Jonah uh, under the theme of returning to God. We need to return to God. Some of us may have slipped away. Some of us may have stumbled away. Some of us may have just flat run away. But either way, we need to come back to God. We've talked about Jonah, chapter 1, chapter 2, how God had given him a call, and Jonah decided to not listen to the call. And so God uh, supernaturally got his attention, and God will do that. He'll use lots of different circumstances to get our attention. Sometimes he creates a sickness that's available out there. There's a sickness that's available that Satan has created, and God will then let us contract that. He won't protect you from it. You'll get flat on your back only to do what? Look up. <laughs> Look up, and when you look up, hallelujah, you're going to see the victory. You never win a race by looking down. I watch the Olympics. I love watching the track and field Olympics. Those people are amazing, aren't they, how fast they can go? That one guy that won the 100-yard dash, he's so far ahead of him, he's beating on his chest and just looking back at him. Now, boys, that's bad. If he'd have really put his nose to the grind and he'd have gone, well, I mean, hey, oh, that's, that's unbelievable. But you know, I didn't see a one of them running with their heads down. They had a head up. Michael Phelps, his whole swing, uh, every gold medal he won, eight of them. Is that phenomenal? Eight gold medals. One hundredth of a second he beat that one guy. His fingers are that much longer than that other guy's finger. One hundredth of a second he touched that wall for number seven. That had to be the hardest one to get. And that guy swam his heart out to beat Michael Phelps, didn't he? One hundredth of a second, boom. But, you know, in that whole swim, I didn't see Michael Phelps looking back behind him or down below. He didn't keep his head down in the water. He kept bringing it up, looking at the goal ahead of him, ahead of him, ahead of him. Well, you and I can't stop. The sermon today, in the sermon today, I want to deal how the message of repentance how that message of repentance can change your heart. One of the greatest lessons of Jonah's failure and forgiveness is that God can continue to use us and those of us who will return to Him. If you've left Him, never been to Him, or haven't ran away, and you come back, He, God, can do great things with you. Can you testify how he does that? Amen? 
If I gave you a few moments, I could have numbers of you would jump up and testify of how God has taken you from when you ran away and brought you back and how great it is now. It's good stuff, is it not? It's like my dog. I can spank her and she'll go hide. And then I can call her and she'll hunker down and come looking for me. And when she gets there, I'm going to beat her again, right? No. She's so hunkered down and scared and looking at you. And then when you lovingly, gently pick her up and stroke her back and pat her on the head and kiss her on the ear and tell her how great she is, instantly they forget. Amen? It's that returning. It's the same way I have felt the times when I have done what I shouldn't have done at my house. And my wife... I go hide under the bed. Well, no, I don't hide under the bed, but I hide. And when I come back, I keep waiting for that, I'm going to kill you again. But when she lovingly opens her arms and says, you know, you were really right and I was wrong. <laughs> Never happens. That's right. Hey, some of y'all live in the same house I do. What's going on? But you see, God, it's a great picture, is it not? Of how we will run away from God, we won't respond to His call in our heart, only to find Him loving us and graciously receiving us. Thankful, thankful for that, then we serve God. And He's the God of the second chance. And just like Jonah, there are many spiritual leaders who receive a second chance to do what God called them to do. Adam sinned in the garden and God covered him. Moses murdered a man and God called him. Elijah quit and complained and then God recommissioned him. Peter denied the Lord and then God used him at Pentecost. John Mark deserted the mission team at Pamphylia, yet God moved upon him to write the second gospel. And that's been the story of the church through all the ages, we've all received a multitude of opportunities to return and to serve God. And once God corrected this reluctant prophet, He continued to work the way God intended for him to. And in this third chapter, Jonah reminds us of what authentic revival looks like. And I want to give you three or four more looks at what genuine spiritual renewal looks like. The characteristics of genuine spiritual renewal. Let's, let's dive in here. Number one, in verse one, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. You see, first of all, we see a sovereign work of God to forgive and to change. Underline in your Bible a second time or highlight it or circle it because it's important to understand that God will call you again. God will come and get you again. He's constantly trying to restore you, to bring you back. No matter how far you run, no matter how deep you try to hide, He's always constantly trying to bring you back. Jonah went to preach with unquestionable obedience. But why do we... Why did he go there? 
And why this time? You see, the people of Nineveh were not calling out to God for spiritual revival. The people, and in fact, the Assyrians qualified as better candidates for God's judgment than did God's, than, than receiving God's grace. But Jonah, successful preaching in this campaign that he went on to do had nothing to do with Jonah's ability, but it had everything to do with that powerful lesson we learn in John chapter 3 in verse 16. Can anybody quote that? All of you quote it? For God so loved the world that He only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not but have... The first part of that verse is God so loved. You see, part of the fact that Jonah went back and received that second calling to go back and preach to the people that God had wanted him to go preach to was that God loved the Ninevites. Do you think that God loves those that live in Jinx? Yes or no? Do you believe that God loves those that live in West Tulsa? Do you believe that God loves those that live in the Union School District? Anointing starting to leave some of you. Do you believe that God loves those that live in Sepulpa, Bixby, Glenpool, Tulsa? Do you believe that God loves those that built the BOK Center in downtown Tulsa? Millions evidently do. You see, it's not about the circumstances. It's not about the stuff. It's about the hearts of the people of God. God loves us. All of us. Do you think God loves Republicans and Democrats? A simple amen would have been fine. Does God love men and women? Does God love children? More than adults, I think. But we can look at God's choice to save the Assyrians differently. Maybe it represents God's plan to produce more good in the world by saving the worst people in the world. No doubt their pillaging stopped for at least a short time in this end result of the revival in Nineveh. But the second thing, characteristic of spiritual renewal, genuine renewal, is found in, also in verse 1, but also in verse 2, when we see a scriptural work of God to correct the error. Let's take a look at that. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, verse 2, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. God told Jonah to go and to preach the message I tell you. While spiritual re renewal may occur without a preacher or a prophet, it never occurs without divine truth. It won't happen. It doesn't matter who the messenger is. It matters the message that he's bringing. Case in point, Reza Safa. Many of you, I've mentioned Reza to you many times. Reza is a former Shiite Muslim who has converted to Christianity, whose life is threatened on a weekly basis by, uh, uh, by Muslims and, and Islamic fundamental and radicals. They threaten him on a, a weekly basis to kill him. He recently had a debate with an a, a imam down in Florida, in Fort Myers, Florida. 
televised on three major stations in Florida, satellite uh, up to New York. Lots of press, lots of coverage. And I just read his email this morning about the results of that debate. He said the imam was so ill-prepared with knowledge of the Quran that God was able to take his word and to nullify anything that the man had to say. Is that not a praise God? You see, that's the way you're going to change the heart of a terrorist, is it not? Is to get the word of God in them. The terrorists are our Nineveh. And you and I need to be sharing the word of God with anybody that doesn't know him. But what's our tendency? What's our tendency? Well, we do a lot like what Jonah did. We run. I'm sure you're not calling me to do that. I don't remember the song. Jeff, you might remember the, who, who wrote it, but the, the only thing I remember the song was, Oh, Lord, don't send me to Africa. You know, he says, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to give you all my heart. I want to do everything you want me to come. But, oh, Lord, please don't send me to Africa. Yeah. I don't want to go where you think I need to go, God. I'll just, I'll just go down to Starbucks. I can do more work now at Starbucks. I agree. Starbucks needs to be one to God. Don't get me wrong. I agree. But if God's calling you to Africa, you better get up and go. You're supposed to say amen. I'll pause. I'll pause a minute. I'll pause again. There we go. The scenario in Jonah reminds him of his, of his duty as a messenger of God in, in three ways. We must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth in love. We might question Jonah's motives. When, especially when we read the last chapter of, of, the, uh, of the book of Jonah. But it declares that the message of God's pending judgment against the lost humanity qualifies as an act of love. His judgment on them is because he loves them and wants them to be saved. Secondly, we offer the truth to all people. We can't be discriminatory as to who we share the Word of God with. Get out there and share it with everybody, anybody who will listen. Thirdly, we obey the truth wholeheartedly. Jonah's message was not a, dis, a dissertation on the possibility and probability that God could destroy the city of Nineveh. When he declared the truth, we do, and when we declare the truth, we do more than simply inform people. Radical obedience to the truth of God is what he desires. The Assyrians responded to that message with genuine repentance. They believed the Word of God. They behaved in a consistent manner with the truth. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, God saw their actions, so He forgave them and withheld judgment. Now, boy, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of God that I serve. That's the kind of God that I love. Third characteristic of genuine spiritual renewal it's found down in verse 6. There's a sudden work of God on an unexpected people. Look at verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard that what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. The revival was totally unexpected. Initially, it was undesirable. But would you consider the probability that this brutal king would suddenly repent and turn to God? Who's to say... Who's to say that Osama bin Laden isn't alive today because God's ready to change his heart? Mm. 
That puts it on a whole new plane, doesn't it, folks? He's the arch enemy. He's the dreaded foe. And if Osama bin Laden repented and came to Christ, you and I would have to embrace him as a brother. Ooh. Hadn't thought about that, had you? Is there any chance that he would do that? Never limit the power of God. How many said that Jeffrey Dahmer, what a terrible person to kill so many people in the gruesome way that he did. But who's to say that he couldn't find Christ? Because he did. Ted Bundy. Yeah, that was just jailhouse confession. Call it what you want. Call it what you want. But we've got to believe that God can penetrate even those hearts, do we not? Because at one time, when you were outside of Christ, guess whose heart was just like theirs? So why did they even listen to Jonah? Why did the city of Nineveh even listen? Some commentators that have suggested that uh, uh, the uh, gastric juices of the fish bleached Jonah's skin and his appearance was such where that drew attention. Possible. Paul the Apostle, Apostle had a similar experience with God while traveling to Damascus uh, to imprison Christians. Remember, he's blinded on the road. God has a way to radically change your life by confronting you in sometimes supernatural ways. Truth brings hope to all those parents that plead with their wayward children to return to God and to all those pastors that plead within different congregations to return to God. God has and can move suddenly on those that don't expect to hear from Him. Verse 10 is our fourth characteristic of genuine spiritual renewal. is a saving work of God on an undeserving people. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed His mind and did not carry out the destruction that He had threatened. God changed His mind. I thought God was God. He is God. He is God. Parents, let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to discipline your children? but chose not to? Sure. Sure. Cindy and I were discussing that about our three boys. And one of those three had the uncanny knack to do some incredibly edgy stuff. And she said, did we ever punish him for that? I said, well, as smooth as he is and as, as overwhelming he is in the way he can pour on the charm, Probably not. I remember a time when she was driving home. And right down the street his best friend lived. And as Cindy got to the stop sign and looked left to where this young man lived, there were police cars there with lights going. And one of our sons and his friend handcuffed leaning over the hood of the car. <laughs> to which his mother just simply said, Oh, well, another night in Jinx, and goes on home. The car screeches around the corner. Out comes that little five-footer, and his whole life flashed before his eyes, I'm sure. But she asked me, she said, did we ever punish him for that? I said, well, it was probably one of those episodes where the yard got cut for a month, 
food got cooked at dinner, the house got cleaned. Oh man, I imagine he was a model citizen. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. I don't have to. The good, the good news is they're serving the Lord, and that's what's important. But you see, when God's people experience revival, lost people that completely ignore God came to repentance. So why aren't people responding to the life that you lead? Perhaps you're not demonstrating enough true revival in you. Ooh, not so many amens. Let me say it differently. God must do something to us before He does anything through us. You see, young people go to CIY. And brother, I'm telling you, there is nothing that fires you up more than going to CIY conference. 1,200 teenagers screaming. You think we stand for 15, 20 minutes to sing? They're for an hour. They're going, ah. I'm not sure. Occasionally you hear the word Jesus thrown in those songs. So it's got to be spiritual, right? But man, they're jumping, they're dancing, they're leaning, they're swaying. And then they sit down after an hour singing, and some of them gets up and hammers at them. And by Wednesday and Thursday and Friday night, tears are flowing from their hearts. Why? Because they finally stepped back from the world, from all the, the things that pull them down to find out that the Lord loves them in a great way. And so repentance starts to flow out of their heart. Then they get back home. And what happens? They come off of that mountain. They get back down there where all the peers are, all the friends are. And man, it gets scary to do what? Be on fire for Jesus. Because then they'll think you're a nut. Where'd you go? What happened to you? You're not the same person I knew. Uh-uh. And that's, a, that's a wonderful if they say you're not the same person they knew. Yeah. But see, then you become an adult. You become mature in your faith. Are you with me? And so what do you do when you're mature in your faith? If you have your Bibles, hold those up. You see, because you're mature in your faith, you really don't need to carry the Bible. In. I mean, you've read it, after all, several times. Am I not, am I not hitting home here at all? Because, see, that's the problem. Why would people be enthusiastic about Christians who aren't enthusiastic? Man, I can't wait to get to that church. Well, them people, they're a house of fire down there. Whew. How you doing? Well, I'm all right. How are you? God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. We should have sang, there shall be showers of blessing today. And you would have sang it like this. There shall be showers of blessing. Oh, hey, how about this one? Revive us again. Fill these heart with us. Are you with me? Are you with me, folks? We can be like Jonah. We can run. Or we can be like Jonah the second time. 
and go do what God called you to do. And out of obedience, let Him work through you. There's two terms in this verse I want you to see. He says saving and undeserving. And God changed His mind. He spared the Assyrians from destruction. And of course this picture is God's grace because the people did not deserve His mercy. You and I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't care how pretty you are. How much money you got, how much power you carry, doesn't matter. God does not have to do anything with you. But He chose to by sending Jesus to cover it. And now He's not obligated to save you anymore. Yep, that's right. He's not obligated to save you at all. Because you now are obligated to Him. Ooh, that throws a whole different wrinkle in the picture, doesn't it? You're obligated to Him. Lastly, verses 7 through 9 give us the fifth key characteristic. It's a sanctifying work of God in the culture. Look at these verses. Then King and his nobles sent his, this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Number nine, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. I'll bet you Jonah's message was powerful. You ever been in a meeting where a ser sermon and that preacher just says, he is on fire. Woo! And you're leaving there going, <laughs> hadn't had that in a long time, have you? That's right. I know many, some of you will go out, some of you, not all of you, some of you go out on Sunday and say, boy, brother, you need to preach a hellfire brimstone message to us. You need to step on my toes. You know what I need to do? Get you to open this. This will jump all over you. If you'll open this enough and consistently enough, guarantee you, he's going to jump all over you if you listen. But see, we'll open this and we'll only go to the books that we want. I love the lady that came to me one time. She said, I just read through the book of James. In fact, I read it through four times, and I didn't find anything in that book that really applied to my life. I thought she was kidding me, man. I did. She was dead serious. And so when I casually mentioned chapter 3 about gossip in the tongue, she left, she left here, went to a friend's house, and accused me of telling her that she's a gossip. I believe she just answered my statement, didn't she? Nothing in there that applies to me. It won't if you don't have an open heart to receive it. Amen? But notice the transformation of this prevailing culture. Only God could produce such a radical change in that entire city. Remember, when God regenerates the soul, outward manifestations of holiness should also follow. People should notice that you are a Christian. They should notice by how you speak, by how you act, by how you spend your money, by what you do every Sunday. I left my garage door open overnight a week ago. Got in my truck to come to work early on the next morning and looked and I saw, oh, I left my garage door open. And where I normally have left my Gas, brand new birthday gift gas blower. We leaf thing and all that. 
somebody had the audacity to walk up there at night and just take it. Then just take it. I keep listening for it in my neighborhood. <laughs> it's calling me. Pastor, I want to come home. But they left the weed eater. They left, they left the gas cans. They left everything. Just took the floor. God bless them. They left all the attachments there, which I can't use anymore now. Anybody need attachments for your blower? Got some? Be glad to give them to you. You know, genuine revival is what ought to be happening in each of us, and people ought to notice and recognize if we're truly Christian. Well, that bothered me on one hand. I got, I got to thinking, wow, I didn't even like that blower. I'm going to get a new one. I'm going to get a new one. I talked to my neighbor. I was just kind of bemoaning my situation. He works for a landscaping company. He says, hey, I got a better one than that. My boss went into research the other day, came out after he'd been in the research for a little while, and all of his equipment was going out of the trap back of his track, uh, trailer. All of it. I guess they came up and said, whoop, free for all. <laughs> he had four weed eaters. He had blowers. He had mowers. They're gone. People just lifted them out of there and took off. And nobody said a word. What a country. Man, we Christians ought to be standing up and screaming, shouldn't we? We Christians ought to be hollering at the top of our lungs about a world that's, that's going down the hill, a world that needs to be changed, a world that needs to come to Christ. We ought to be talking to our neighbors and to our co-workers and to our children, to our grandchildren, to our husbands, to our wives. And we need to understand that it's easy for those in the church to cast stones from behind mortar and brick walls at all these sinners, but it's a different thing to get out from behind the walls and to get out there where they are and to live that life. Nehemiah records one of the great revivals of all history as we come to a close, and I call the worship team to come help me close. In the eighth chapter of Ezra, the prophet read the word of God for six hours. And unexpectedly, the people, it says, began to weep. What did Ezra and Nehemiah instruct them to do in response to God's moving? They told the people to do two things in this great outbreak of revival. They said, number one, honor God in His holiness. And number two, share God's blessings with your neighbor. I'm going to do something radical this morning. I'm going to have Jeff and Misty just sing this song. And while they're singing, you see, we need, to, we need to celebrate God's holiness. And part of God's holiness is that you and I are connected together. I believe with all my heart that there's somebody in this room that needs to seek forgiveness of somebody else in this room. There's somebody in this room that needs to just go up and just hug somebody and say, you know, I just want you to know that I love you and care about you. And so we're going to do our invitation just a little bit different than we've done it in the past. I'm going to have you just stay seated. And while Jeff sings this one time, if you, if you know somebody that's here today and you just need to go and sit by them and hug them and say, I just want you to know I love you. And uh, if you need to ask them to forgive you, do it. But I want to give you a little bit of time for that. And then he's going to sing it a second time. Then we're going to stand. And this is your call to come to God. And if you feel a need to come to God today in any way, 
This will be your time. First time through, sit. If there's somebody you know that's here, you need to go say a good word to them, go do it. And you might say, well, people will see me get up and go to them. Awesome. Awesome. And then many will say, I, I can't do that. I don't want to embarrass myself. Okay. So then when we stand, go do it then. Nobody will see you. Okay. One time, you got somebody you want to go talk to, do it. Then we'll stand. Second time, respond to the cross. Jeff, would you please?